Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. I'm going to do something today that I was kind of shocked to find out that I have never written on, much less done a podcast on. So I'm going to talk about money truisms. These were originated by my friend Dick Wagner, who was a great philosopher of money uh, and all aspects of money. Used to say Dick would fly at about 80,000 feet. And I flew at about 5,000 trying to figure out how to land the plane. So when he started pondering something, you can predict the depth that he was going to go with it. And he was just fascinated with how we as individuals and society thought, felt, interacted, related to money. And he believed that 21st century money is different than money has ever been in the world in all of time. And especially that financial planners really needed to understand it because he would say that money is the primary vehicle of human interaction in society. So he developed these truisms to answer the question, what do we know of money? The earliest list that I found uh, from was probably from 2007 and included 53, in which he invited feedback and said it was simply uh, a work in progress. He uh, later reduced the list to 35 and reduced it a little bit further, but hit on most of them in some form or fashion in his book, Financial Planning 3.0 which was released in 2016, sadly just six months before his unexpected passing. So I've included these truisms and presentations that I've done here and there over the past, but uh, never really pulled any of them together. So I've written a couple of columns on this that ran in my weekly column, and I want to uh, go through some of those and perhaps um, expand a little bit on them as to the emotional uh, component of many. And what we're addressing here when it comes to financial behaviors uh, could be helping with, say, financial denial. It could certainly be helping in giving more information, which oftentimes isn't helpful (laughs) to a really ingrained money script. But it may put some things into perspective and give some new information to you in a way to frame your relationship with money and what money is and what money isn't. So let's start with the first one, that money is the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. And I've said this 
in uh, so many ways on this podcast in many forms. You know, money is everywhere. Money touches everything we do. Money shapes policy of societies. So I think that that is, is really true when you think of it. It's powerful. It's everywhere pervasive. It's just a force in the planet. Now, the second one are that money skills are 21st century survival skills. I probably quote this money truism more than any other. If you think about it, when where I live, the Dakotas were settled 150 years ago, it was largely possible to exist without money. If you had agricultural skills, hunting, cooking, carpentry, sewing, those types of skills, your need for money was uh, not huge. But today there's no survival without money. Money is really core to our well-being, right? It's core to financial, emotional, and physical well-being. It, it touches everything. Another one that I always liked was that money skills don't come naturally to human beings. So if you are struggling with money, with your relationship with money, especially if you're in the money script category of being money avoidant, and you feel I can never understand this stuff. I just when a person starts talking dollars and cents, I had one client say that there a cloud just comes over them. No, that you're not born with money skills. There's lots of skills that come naturally to animals. You know, they they intuitively know things. They know when to migrate. Uh, you know, if they're a bird, uh, humans know instinctively to sleep, to eat, to procreate. But money is just strictly a human creation. It's not found in nature. The animals don't have money. So the skilled use of money has got to be taught and it's got to be learned. And if it was never taught to you, I want to say that it's not your fault. Now, you are responsible for learning these money skills. Because no one taught you doesn't mean that it isn't your responsibility to learn. It's a survival skill. So this teaching of money skills is a huge shortcoming of most societies. Basically, we leave our young to figure it out. Very few K-12 through schools have any courses on money. And the courses on money that I've been aware of uh, usually uh, originate from uh, a program called Junior Achievement that sends volunteers into cl- classrooms to, to teach a few hours spread over a couple of weeks on uh, how money works and capitalism and, and things of, of that nature of which uh, at one time I, I was involved with that program. But it's, it's just not enough. And we've talked about on the podcast many times that more knowledge about money is often not what's needed. 
that we've, we've got to get to the emotional side of money, of what's going on, before. We've got to, uh, we have to finish the unfinished emotional business before a person can come into the present, just like Ebenezer Scrooge, and then be able to hear. So I, I want to underscore that financial literacy is really important. We've got to understand how money works. We've got to understand how to make good money decisions. And there is an emotional component to that and a dollars and cents, a knowing, a knowledgeable component to that. And we've got to have both of those. Number four, money is a 21st century taboo. <laughs> this one is one of my favorites. And Dick didn't mean that money isn't talked about in society. It's talked about everywhere, right? We read about it. We hear it. We hear it on broadcasts. We hear it in songs. Talking about money is everywhere. But what he meant by this is that talking about your money is a societal taboo. What you think, what you feel, what you believe about money is taboo. Now, if you, if you don't think this is so, I would challenge you for the rest of the day, maybe tomorrow, if you're listening to this in the evening, just go up to every person you meet and ask them, you know, what did you make last year? And would you, would you be willing to tell me your net worth? Or just offer to tell them how much you made last year and what your net worth was. I have people seize up when I am doing a presentation and I say, in just a minute, we're going to do this. We're all going to come up and stand on an imaginary line and that represents where you are in a, a continuum for your net worth and your income. Now, I, I've never done it, but uh, there's usually panic just contemplating that we're going to do this. Another sign that this is a, a taboo can be in your family. You know, was money talked about? You know, real money, what you think, feel, and believe, money education. Was it an open, discussed topic that was talked about in a healthy manner, not, say, in an incestuous way like uh, we've talked about that would, that would mean inappropriately? The fifth one that I like is that money's a social agreement. It is what you and I agree it is. My kids, I I don't know why I landed on this one, but somehow I instilled in them early on that money's a social agreement. And it's one of the test questions on my uh, midterm exam at the, the graduate course that I teach at GGU. And I, and I think it's just important, again, it's just in framing what money is. Many will say that money's energy, but I would suggest that money can be turned into energy, that money itself is not energy. Uh, others will say that money's a medium of exchange, a unit of account, a store of value, and sometimes a, a standard of deferred payment. I've heard it referred to that. All of these are functions of money. At the core of what money is, is what two people, a community, 
a political state say that it is. In the United States of America, we say that it is these pieces of paper, uh, these uh, pieces of metal that look a certain way and have certain images stamped on them, or uh, recognized uh, balances, electronic balances in accounts. Number six is that uh, money is neither good or bad. It just is. Now, if you ponder this a bit, it's pretty profound. A lot of people project so much emotion, so much unfinished business, so much trauma onto money where it doesn't belong. Some will project that money is mostly good, or money is always good, that money is inherently positive. Others will project that money is inherently bad, is inherently evil, and it isn't inherently anything. Money can be used for good. Money can be used for evil. Money can be used to traumatize to wound, to hurt, to create these uh, deep uh, vulnerabilities. And money can also be used for good and gratitude and to lift somebody up and uh, to, to be a huge help. But at its core, it's neutral, it's anemic, it just is. It's a blank canvas and it is whatever we want to make it. And I've done this on the podcast before. I equate money with feelings. I think once we understand that money just is, it's neutral, it can help us understand feelings. Because feelings are not inherently good or inherently bad. I think most of us have labeled them as such, but a, a feeling is a name that we give a sensation. Feelings start as sensations in the body. Some of those may be pleasant, some we might experience as light, some may be difficult. None of them are permanent. They are passing. Psychologists say that feelings last 45 to 90 seconds. And they are there to give information. Feelings are not to be shunned, they're not to be resisted. They're not to be deemed unimportant, just as money isn't. They carry information. So feelings like money just are. They just are. And, and that's really important. You know, when a feeling comes up of shame or, or guilt or whatever, the, it could be sadness, it can be fear, and we have a critic in our head that says, you shouldn't be feeling that. There's something wrong with you to be feeling this feeling, to be having this feeling. And that is so damaging, so hurtful. Uh, it's denying a part of our authenticity because we are having it. And it's really important to acknowledge it and welcome it. I, I talked with a, a lady uh, yesterday that repeated something I'd heard before, but it really stuck with me. And uh, she said, that which we resist 
persists. That's why when I said a feeling is short, it's 45 to 90 seconds, and some of you said, huh, what? Oh, when we resist the feeling, when we don't feel it, we kind of put it into a, a bank account of sorts, waiting to be felt someday. And I've said, we spend lifetimes resisting feelings, especially difficult feelings, and they persist. So um, feelings are there to be felt. Money is there to be used, to be spent, to support us. The seventh is that money requires fundamental integrity, laws, and government. Money doesn't function well where there is no integrity. Money does not function well in a society that is corrupt. It requires honesty and virtue. Money requires an environment of trust. So you may be surprised because of projection onto money that money inherently is corrupt. Well, no, money just is. Individuals can corrupt it. Individuals can be corrupt in their use of money. But eventually, the system is going to break down if there is just rampant corruption. For example, when I go to the, the gas station and I buy a gallon or five or ten gallons of gas, I just inherently assume I'm getting five or ten gallons of gas. Uh, I don't get out a gallon measuring container and measure each gallon that I get. Uh, there are laws that govern that what you say you provide is what you're going to provide. It is important that I'm getting a full gallon when I buy that gas, not three quarters of a gallon or seven-eighths of a gallon. So this is really important that money has integrity, has laws, has government to protect its virtue. Number eight, money requires healthy notions of wealth and wealth building. Money doesn't equal wealth. I would suggest and Dick would suggest that money or, or that wealth really includes a state of being, a sufficiency, a quality of mind. Uh, some will say time. Wealth includes time. Wealth is much more expansive and is really individual. Money is just money. Again, an inanimate object. Number nine, money is an ultimate form of sharing. Money's really worthless when it's stored. Think about this. Money bought Ebenezer Scrooge nothing. He lived in poverty. Uh, he didn't have lighting. He didn't have sufficient heat. He didn't have sufficient food. Money did him no good. Money requires context of reciprocity and exchange. It is to be shared. It is to be given. And until it is spent or given, it really does nothing. Now that I am not saying that that means we shouldn't have any savings at all. We've got to have savings. We've got to have money stored someplace so we can go spend it. But money 
that is never spent, again, like Scrooge, is not money that, that gives meaning uh, uh, or supports meaning or um, supports anyone's heart desires. Uh, number 10, there's nothing more intimate than money, including sexual intimacy. Now, if you don't believe this, ask a therapist and they'll tell you it's true. Money, people are much more likely to discuss their sexuality uh, in counseling uh, than the intimate details of their finances and their relationship with money. <clears throat> Wagner would say that money reflects one's authentic values with clarity and accuracy. To that end, uh, I have found that a person's checkbook, ledger, their credit card statement, their online social payment accounts will usually give a pretty good glimpse of a person's values. Number 11, it's not the nature of money to ever provide reliable security for individuals or social units. Isn't, isn't money security? No, money cannot give us security. Security is an inside job. Security is um, that state of calm, curiosity, compassion, being connected, confidence, uh, courage, clarity, creativity that comes from within. It's uh, the sense of stability that comes from within. Now, money can support that. Money can support security. But I know a number of clients that have had millions of dollars that have not felt secure. So security really probably more comes from emotional well-being than anything else. Money doesn't bring hap happiness, although the absence of it can bring a lot of unhappiness. Money spent properly can bring happiness into our lives in the form of food and shelter and clothing. But without money, there's a little chance of obtaining happiness. Money can't give one meaning, but it's necessary in our quest for meaning. Now, this is not one of Dick's truisms. It's one that I've adopted from Jacob Needleman's book, Money and the Meaning of Life. And you've heard me talk a lot about this one. Money contains elemental paradoxes. This is one of Dick's. It enables and constrains a sense of one's worth or importance. It can induce selfishness or enable generosity. It can express one's best and one's worst qualities. Money is a paradox. And finally, <laughs> I like this one. This, this was one of Dick's go-tos. Everybody is weird about money. Nah, I always chuckle at this one. Dick writes in his book, he says, since money is spent by individuals, individual weirdness translates to societal and political weirdness. <laughs> What is he saying? What Dick is saying is that individuals often spend money in ways that are hurtful to them or seemingly illogical on the surface. Hence, 
his term of weird. Stating this a different way, and this is going to sound very familiar to you, everybody at some point in their lives is illogical or incongruent in the way that they spend money. And this supports one of the main tenets of this podcast, is that every financial behavior makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying belief or money script. So in that sense, we're all weird about money. Other people are weird about money. And that is they are seemingly illogical in the way they spend it. But when we dig a little deeper, when we look under the hood, when we find that money script, that money burden, that underlying belief, it makes all the weirdness go away because it's all logical. And then, of course, it is so helpful to help those parts of us understand that, to see that, and to help them see that circumstances have changed. And what once really was helpful to us, today is no longer helpful to us. So. Well, thank you for joining me. We didn't get through 52. We didn't get through 35. We only got through 15. But I think these are the most impactful. So take care, and I will look forward to being with you again next week. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.